Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Si, senor. Wake up, America. It's Friday, January 27th, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Angela Marici, the founder of the Ursulines. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and our producer this morning is Gabby who is filling in for Sarah who's a little under the weather this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. It's so good to be with you here first thing this morning as we get ready for the weekend here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Fridays, I always take a moment uh, to remember the sacred heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is also International Holocaust Remembrance Day, the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz, the concentration camp back in 1945. You can find us, as always, on Twitter and Facebook, our address at Morning Air Show. If you want to email us uh, directly with your thoughts, morningair at relevantradio.com. As we uh, do every single morning, first things first, we always start every morning always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, and there are so many if we really stop and think about it. Every day is a blessing, every day is a gift, and we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and patroness of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. Every morning we always invoke the Holy Spirit here on the show when uh, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our number, if you want to be part of the conversation this morning, is 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. 9149149 Now, have any of you ever had the opportunity to travel on a pilgrimage to the legendary Santiago de Compostela, the way of the Apostle St. James in Spain? I have not. My mother has visited uh, that uh, beautiful cathedral there uh, in honor of uh, the Apostle St. James. How can a pilgrimage and an experience uh, like this change your life? Well, we're going to talk about it uh, this morning. I want to introduce you to someone that I recently met uh, just uh, this past fall at the Great Lakes Catholic Men's Conference in DeKalb, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. He's Deacon Ron Willie Wilson, uh, who's going to share his adventures on the 500-mile Camino de Santiago de Compostela in Spain, the way that he hiked, believe it or not, two and a half times. That's 1,200 miles, folks. Listen to the trailer to his latest book, Lost and Found Along the Way. 
At age 62, I walked the Camino de Santiago that climbs 5,000 feet over the Pyrenees Mountains and then travels 500 miles to Western Spain. <laughs> Call me crazier, I walked it two and a half times, a total of 1,200 miles. I've written a book of my experiences called Lost and Found Along the Way. Hikers will love the vivid descriptions of the trail, its fascinating history and legends. Faith seekers will appreciate the spiritual insights. Those who love a great story will be moved by the dramatic faith walk testimonies. Believers will learn how to share their faith with those who have just lost theirs. And what if we've lost faith? Joining us live uh, this morning from the Chicago area is Deacon Willie Williams with much more on his book, Lost and Found Along the Way. In fact, I have uh, my very own copy here, uh, autographed uh, by the good deacon uh, here in studio this morning. Uh, deacon Willie was ordained a Catholic deacon back in 1994. He leads church missions. He serves as clergy for prison retreats and homeless shelters. He, he's also a retired literature and history teacher and is a spiritual director and counselor. Good morning, uh, Deacon Willie. Great to be with you for the first time here on Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, I should say Buen Camino, which is the universal greeting and goodbye for all pilgrims on the way. I'm so grateful to be here. Well, buen Camino to you. Muchísimas gracias, as they would say in Spain. Uh, Deacon, uh, before we talk about El Camino, uh, can you give us a, a little bit of a historical perspective on St. James the Apostle and his connection to your story? Well, all of the Camino has uh, a root is rooted in the Apostle James. So uh, we know that uh, Jesus called his apostles, and three of those that were invited into an inner circle were Peter, and then James and John, sons of Zebedee, and particularly in this case, James. At the ascension, Jesus said, go and baptize to the ends of the world. And they each went to different corners. James went to the far western part of Spain. And some would claim that it was the end of the world. And it makes good sense because Jesus called James and John um, sons of thunder and I would guess that there's nothing timid about those boys. And the end of the world, where he went near Finisterre, was where the fiercest pagans were. And they were into human sacrifice and fierce uh, pagan worship. And so when Jesus said, go to the end of the world, it would make sense that a man of thunder would go to that place. Of course, his younger brother would go to take care of our mom. That was his commission. And it was there that he stayed uh, teaching and preaching until an event when he was called back. And there are many legends of how that happened, but he was called back into Jerusalem. And this is 
where my book picks up. Uh, he was. We know that in Acts 12:2, he was called back into Jerusalem at the fury of the religious leaders, Jewish leaders, and uh, Herod Agrippa, and an attempt to please them, had James beheaded, and that uh, is where his he was the first apostle uh, martyred. And in fact, just a couple of years ago, um, I believe that there was a year dedicated to St. James the Apostle. Oh, my. Uh, he uh, is uh, the hero of Spain. All throughout Spain, you would see, uh, you would see statues and uh, churches that have uh, great, pay him great uh, honor for what uh, he had done. Okay, uh, Deacon Willie, uh, I think what, what uh, you have done is absolutely remarkable. Uh, tell us uh, what inspired you to answer the call and walk uh, 500 miles on your first Camino pilgrimage at age 62. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I'd have to take you back to uh 2012, I was experiencing a profound dryness in my prayer time, and I had uh, two years of that, and I had a wise spiritual director who said, just keep pushing and push men, pray until something happens, and uh, that is the spiritual advice during those desolate periods is just to remain faithful, and, and I did, even though I got nothing out of it. My prayers seemed to bounce off the ceiling, but I remained faithful, and I, I know the day, particularly on March 23rd, 2012, I had to, there's no magic to that day. It just happened to be the day the Lord blessed me with a vision, a deep intimacy with him, and I saw on that day a clay trail with red poppies, tall barley grasses, and uh, what I learned to be canola fields. There were knee-high shrubs abundantly covered in lemon-yellow flowers and tall mountain peaks, snow-capped peaks. And I was confused. I remember being so deep in prayer and this vision, I was asking, Lord, where am I? And I had a connection then to the movie The Way by um, Martin Sheen and Emilio Estevez. And I started putting the connection. I said, Lord, is this where you're asking me to be? I've never walked. And then I started with kind of a litany of arguments. I've never walked that far. I don't have the money. I'm overweight. Uh, couldn't we just like walk the neighborhood and be be friends and I'll listen to you there. And uh, he let me go on with my worries. And a moment of silence came and I believe I heard these two words just resonate in my soul. Have faith. Just those two words. Have faith. And, and they have been my power source throughout my life. In every lost moment, just have faith. And that uh, mantra 
powered me through 13 months of preparation just with the belief that there was something there he wanted me to experience, and I did. I experienced a tremendous intimacy with him. It's like anything you have while you're in nature. He has a sense of his presence. Well, you imagine 33 days of that. Well, Deacon uh, Willie, uh, you not only uh, have done this uh, one time, which is pretty amazing. Most people can't even imagine uh, what 500 miles is like, uh, but you've uh, done it two and a half times. Can you talk about just how challenging it is uh, to walk uh, the Camino de Santiago? Um, Again, you did it again, and and just for good measure, uh, another couple of hundred miles uh, the third time. (laughs) Yes, uh, and each time was prompted by uh, an intimate little prayer time before. Uh, I finished, I went, I finished the Camino and I thought, oh, that's it, that was one and done. And then something new uh, of an invitation during my prayer time. But the trail itself has intense challenges. The first day is up. 5,000 foot climb and you're leaning right into your boots. Uh, That's how it starts the first day. The first part of the trail is you're you're going through some pretty strong undulations. There's a second phase to it. uh, It's called the Maseta and that's pretty level. That's actually a pretty pleasant walk. Some find it almost too boring. And then the final third, it gets Actually, it reaches elevations higher than the than the Pyrenees, and uh, it levels off to a absolutely pleasant and gorgeous part of the trail uh, in the final third uh, and some of the holy shrines there. But your body pays the price for it. Uh, I've had nine of my toes that would be blistered, and you go there expecting that have blisters. Some escape them. Uh, I did not. Uh, but part of the suffering is part of the grace, too, that I can offer my suffering up to him while, uh, while I walk as well. We're joined this morning by Deacon Willie Williams uh, from the Chicago area. He's a Catholic deacon, a retired history teacher, uh, talking about uh, his experiences and his most recent book called Lost and Found uh, Along the Way, uh, his journey on the Camino de Santiago de Compostela. Um, Deacon Willie um, you had so many uh, spiritual insights uh, and experiences and miracles uh, along the way that you have compiled in, in your book. Can you talk a little bit about uh, how you decided to put it all together and actually uh, put it in writing? Yeah, I blogged my experience, and little did I know that uh, that's what created my fan base, uh, my first Camino had in that month that I had walked, I was just sharing my heart and what experience I had. And it turned out in that month's time, I had 10,000 hits. And then people would say, go back. You need to walk again. Go and write some more. 
and uh, just turned out that the good Lord uh, pressed upon my heart for a second and and a third, and it was from the blog entries that I wrote the experience, but I found that people wanted three things in the stories. One, they want to know the Camino, and I and I formatted my book and the chapters in this, the Camino. They want to know what do you see? What is the interesting parts of the trail, uh, some of the legends, some of the history, the geography? If I were going to go, what would I see? So walkers want to know things like that, people interested in some of the history because it's 1,200 years old. It started with the uh, discovery of the apostles' remains back in 800. Then they want to know, well, what did you get out of it? What did, did you? Did the Lord speak to you? What did you get out of it? And I call that my Camino. And I do share the more intimate conversations of what my conversation with him would be and what I think he was sharing with me. So I invite people into that uh, prayer relationship so that it related to the time of where I was walking. If it might be something about my inability to forgive myself and related to an event while on the Camino. While I'm sharing that, I'm experiencing it. I'm sharing how I'm reflecting upon it. And then the third part is, I recognize people will listen to that for a while, but they'll they get to, so what's in it for me? Like, that's nice for you, Deacon Willie, but what would I get out of it? And just because of years of training to be a spiritual director and my the what I learned uh, in my diaconal formation, I uh, offer a section called Our Camino. So I offer advice for their spiritual growth related to it, which left a, a, a one more piece that I just saw screaming is like, what's a living example of that advice? And I have living testimonies of faith walk stories. And I have people who have graciously offered their faith testimonies that illustrate the message of the chapter. And John, these stories could be on 60 Minutes. I take no credit for them. Sounds fantastic. Uh, Deacon Willie, uh, we're just about out of time. I so much uh, uh, appreciate uh, you being with us. Uh, uh, just outstanding testimony of your experiences uh, in this uh, historic uh, Camino de, de Santiago. Um, how can our listeners uh, get your book? It's on Amazon. They can go to Amazon. Uh, the title of the book is called Lost and Found Along the Way. They can also see videos that I have produced and a gallery of photos. There's many things on my website of the same name, lostandfoundalongtheway.com. Outstanding. 
Deacon Willie, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Uh, it's been great. I've started uh, on the book. I went to bed last night uh, beginning to, to read it uh, in preparation to chat with you this morning, and I'm looking forward to working my way through it. Uh, many blessings to you in your ministry. Thanks again. Buen camino, John. God bless you. Que Dios te bendiga. Uh, Deacon Willie Williams, the author of Lost and Found Along the Way. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. A Catholic mom, author, and the host of the Girlfriends podcast, Danielle Bean, will be with us to discuss uh, uh, the nightly routine for parents, uh, not kids, uh, that can set you up for success uh, the next day. So stay with us on uh, this Friday as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Thanks for tuning in and being with us here on this Friday morning. I'm glad you could join us here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, if you want to be part of the show, 888-914-9149, Now, I want to talk uh, to all the moms and the dads out there. Uh, parents, you probably uh, have a nightly routine uh, pretty much set uh, for your kids, but what about a night routine for you personally? Uh, do you follow one, or are you the type that uh, tends to fall asleep on the couch watching uh, some TV show. Well, I can tell you that my routine starts really, really early because I get up at 3.45 a.m. Central so I can be with you to talk about morning routines. Um, Now, why is it important to have uh, a good nightly routine and making sure that you get enough sleep? Uh, Joining us live from New Hampshire is uh, Morning Air contributor Danielle Beam uh, to share some insights and perspective on how a solid uh, nightly routine can set you up for success the next day. Danielle is the creator and host of the Girlfriends podcast and co-host of The Gist on Catholic uh, TV. She's also the author of several books. She's a retreat leader and popular speaker on a variety of subjects related to a Catholic family life, education, marriage, and motherhood. She's been married to her husband, Dan, for 28 plus years, and together they have eight children. Good morning, Danielle. Thanks so much for joining us. Once again, it is great to be with you. Oh, I always enjoy our conversations. Thrilled to be here. Well, this is one that definitely got my attention because, like I mentioned, I uh, I have a little different routine because I'm up at 345 every morning to get ready yeah. to do this show. So, we, you know, you talk <laughs> about routines and discipline. That, that, I think the good Lord has been working on me since I took over and started hosting this show. But I think it's important for all parents to, to have a routine. Uh, now, you, as a mom, you obviously, with, with eight children, you've got to have a routine for them. But what about yourself? Right. Yeah, I think this is the the area that people tend to neglect, and I know I did this for many years when my children were young. I didn't have a set routine or a set bedtime, and because that was like my free time, my precious little bit of free time after the kids had gone to bed, so I didn't stick to a very good schedule with regard to bedtime. So it does require discipline, uh, but the payoffs uh, are, are so, so very worth it, because 
it's better for your health. It's better for your moods. You get better sleep when you're on a regular routine. You get better sleep when you prepare yourself for sleep by beginning a winding down routine that doesn't involve doom scrolling on your phone or falling asleep in front of the television. All of these things are small ways that you can take better care of yourself. And we as moms and dads, we we sometimes forget that to take care of ourselves is to care for our families. If you want to be there for your family physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, then you need to be taking care of yourself. And sleep accounts for a lot of different factors that add up to good health. Want to invite our early bird listeners with us this morning. Uh, if you have a, a nighttime routine uh, that works, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we're taking your calls for Danielle Bean, the host of the Girlfriends podcast and the co-host of uh, Catholic TV, uh, the program The Gist. So you can be part of our discussion here this morning, 888-914-9149, if you want to chime in. Um, Danielle, um, how does having uh, a disciplined nightly routine really uh, help you uh, get ready uh, mentally and, uh, and physically for the next day? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, physically, you know, we always hear that age-old advice, like, you know, planning the clothing you're going to wear, setting out the the book that you might need in the morning or your work papers or things for your children or making lunches ahead of time. Like these things really make for smooth mornings the next day, a much better start to your day. But even more than that, just psychologically, if you're going through a routine that you go through every night before you go to bed, it helps to prepare you to get a good night's sleep. So it might be the physical routine of um, washing your face or brushing your teeth or taking a hour or whatever your nighttime cleaning routine is, but I think it should also involve some kind of a quiet activity, whether it's sitting and um, having a, a cup of herbal tea or talking with your spouse or connecting with your children or um, especially a prayer time. You need to have something that's going to quiet you, something that's not a digital screen in your face that stimulates you in all the wrong ways before you're going to go to bed. But having those, those steps in place not only physically prepares you for the next day and puts things into place as you're going to bed and helps you to psychologically quiet down, it really does induce a much better night's sleep. Studies back this up. So if you want to be getting better sleep, if you find yourself restless at night, look at some of your routines, the things you're doing right before you go to bed that last hour or an hour and a half before you're lying down and trying to sleep and and see if maybe changing some of those habits might help to influence your sleep habits. Well, I'm checking off the boxes as you're describing uh, these different routines. Uh, (laughs) This is all really practical stuff. And, uh, you know, here in this new year, I I made a a commitment to myself to to, uh, spend a few uh, quiet moments before I turn off the light uh, and go to bed earlier than most folks. Uh, But just uh, a few moments uh, in prayer and also doing some spiritual reading. So I decided to pick up uh, the imitation of Christ, which is a classic, and you know, just right. one little pe- one little chapter yeah, little every snippet. night, just enough to quiet down the brain and just meditate on what's really important. It's been it's been really working good so far here in January. Oh, that's great. I love that you mentioned that book because that's the perfect resource. You know, something along those lines where it is a very small section of reading that you can do each night. Or maybe you're making your way through a different kind of a spiritual book, or maybe you want to pray the prayers of the church. You want to, you want to pray nighttime prayers or, or read through or even uh, sing, if you're musical, you know, a, a hymn. 
whether you do it on your own with your spouse or together as a family, having that spiritual element before you lie down and sleep is so important. It puts your mind into perspective. All those worries of the day that you might be tempted to carry with you into bed and lie awake worrying about, it puts it into perspective that God is in charge and it calls on us and reminds us to be placing our trust in him. Well, Danielle, you know, recently I was looking at my iPhone and I'm thinking, you know, we, we charge the iPhone. The iPhone's got to be charged, uh, you know, fully in the morning. Well, we need to charge our bodies as well. So I think that uh, the importance of, of sleeping, getting a good night's sleep, and obviously every person has different needs, you know, six, seven, eight hours, whatever. Uh, it, mm-hmm. You know, it's so important. People, I think, forget how important it is to, to have that battery charged uh, in the morning. Absolutely. Your your good days start with a good night the night before. And you're so right to make that analogy with the phone because think about it. If you're if you're going to bed somewhere and you can't charge your phone, don't you have like a feeling of panic like, oh, wait a minute, how am I going to charge my phone? My phone won't be charged in the morning. Well, do you think the same way about the rest that you need to be charged for the next day? Actually, much more important than your phone getting charged. So making that a priority and, and you know, starting with small things, you know, look at your nighttime routine the way it is right now and and one or two things might stand out to you as oh that's probably not the best well maybe replace a couple of those things with more positive habits something quiet something calming something spiritually focused or connecting with someone you love or um, you know doing something that's meaningful for you or a, a routine where you're, you're drinking a cup of tea or um, you know reading even just a favorite book even if it's just fiction that you like to read can help to settle your mind and calm your body and prepare you for sleep what about trying to go to bed uh, every night uh, at the same time and it can be a challenge on the weekends when you don't have to be up as early Absolutely. I know. And and so that's something to keep in mind, though, because studies do back that up. They show that when you are going to bed around the same time every every night, whether it's Friday or Saturday night or not, that um, that, that leads to a better night's sleep, that kind of regular routine. It leads to you being able to get up better in the mornings and feel better when you're getting out of bed in the morning. And don't we all want that? So, you know, looking for ways that you can be be more disciplined about that. And it is a discipline. You know, it's for sure that's something that I found through the years, especially when we were raising little kids and it was so tempting to stay up late and binge watch a television show or something. And doing things like that once in a while is perfectly okay. Nobody's saying you can't ever do something like that. But on the whole, your general life routine should be more aimed toward taking good care of yourself, starting with those basic physical needs but not forgetting the spiritual ones as well. Okay, as a mom, uh, uh, have you ever taken naps? Oh, yes. That used to be a regular part of my routine. So, you know, when, when the baby, when you first have a baby, everyone tells you, you know, sleep when the baby sleeps. And I remember thinking, that was impossible. I just, I wanted to get everything done, you know, during the baby's nap time. And, and it's okay to get some things done during the baby's nap time. But for sure, there were years when I had older kids and younger kids. And the older kids could be left in charge of, you know, kind of the middle-aged kids while the littlest ones were sleeping. And I made a regular habit, especially if I was pregnant, um, even if I wasn't, to be taking a nap, at least lying down and having quiet time. And I know some families do that, even with older kids who aren't going to necessarily nap in the afternoon. They, they, have, they enforce quiet time. It means these are the hours where we sit and we read quietly on our own, and that gives you an opportunity to rest as well. Danielle, uh, final thoughts, about 30 seconds. Oh, well, I just want to encourage everybody 
take care of yourself in this basic way. We know about feeding ourselves properly with good nutrition and getting exercise, but good sleep habits are something that often gets neglected in our society. And if nothing else, then put away your habit of using screens in that last hour before bedtime. Try it for a week. Try it for just a short period of time and see if you don't get a better night's sleep and feel better in the morning and be a better version of yourself for the day. Great advice. I love it. Thanks so much uh, for being with us here this morning, Danielle, as always. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, too. Danielle Bean, the host of the Girlfriends podcast and the co-host of The Gist on Catholic TV. We're going to take a short break. One morning here returns. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg will look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Stay with us. There's much more to come on this Friday here on Morning Air. We'll be right back. Wake up. Wake up, America. This this is Morning Air. Your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's just inside Welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. Our Gospel reading for this fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time comes from Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you, and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Beautiful gospel reading for the fourth Sunday in Ordinary Time. It's the Beatitudes from the Gospel of Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Time to dig in and look at each of those a little bit more, as we do each and every week. I look at the gospel with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada. Bishop Muggenberg, thanks for being along today. Great to be here, Glenn. Well, we dive in. uh, Words people have heard, uh, whether they're Bible scholars or not, uh, heard so many times through the years, the, the Beatitudes. But trying our best to, to figure out and uh, just sit with each one for a little bit and uh, and learn as best we can about those meanings. So uh, let us dive in with uh, being poor in spirits or, well, not so poor, but dependent on God. Yeah, whenever Jesus talks about poverty in spirit, he's really talking about where we find our fundamental strength, you know, our identity. Is, is the center of gravity of our lives on ourselves or is it on God? I mean, do we acknowledge that every every minute of our life, every second of our life is a gift from God? Every breath that we breathe is, is a gift from God. 
And whenever we give the Lord um, that that credit and that acknowledgement, and we recognize His power and our our powerlessness, then that's when we can really open ourselves to experience God's great providence and care for us in a way that we've always overlooked because we've been trusting in ourselves rather than God. So that poverty of spirit is not something that, you know, we should shy away from. It's something we should really pray for uh, because it's it's the fundamental opening that allows us to experience the joy of God's presence and providence in our lives. Now, a cursory reading of this passage with our next beatitude might have us think, oh, we've heard this, and it's just God is with those who suffer a loss. Blessed are those who mourn. But an interesting take on this to think of the sadness we ought to have when we realize the the error of our ways, kind of a holy sadness. Well, and and I think that's important to acknowledge because uh, the reality is that every human life has sadness in it whether you're Christian, whether you're non-Christian, whatever. And so it isn't that Jesus is praising people who are sad in general, but he's speaking about a particular kind of sadness. You know, Jesus himself experienced sadness when he saw people's hardness of heart. Um, He mourned over Jerusalem because, you know, um, Jerusalem would not receive him, and it missed its day of visitation. Jesus had tremendous sadness over, over the presence of sin. And even St. Paul talks about, you know, a kind of holy sadness that actually leads to repentance. And so I think our Lord is is telling us that, you know, whenever we see uh, the presence of sin uh, in the world, rather than you know, finding ourselves responding with anger or with judgmentalism or condemnation, but to really experience the sorrow that reflects the, the sorrow of God himself um, and that Jesus expressed. Because that kind of sorrow helps other people realize um, the hurtful nature of their actions and hopefully invites them to repentance. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants reconciliation and repentance ultimately. Um, and so rather than you know uh, responding with indifference or with uh, what any of the other ways that we can, he wants us to experience the sadness um, that, that God himself experiences. Digging in for a deeper look at the Beatitudes, our gospel reading out of Matthew 5 this week with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from Reno, Nevada. Blessed are the gentle, but we learn about how much strength there really is in being gentle the right way. True. Now, most translations will um, render this word meek, um, but it's really, it, it, whenever we hear the word meek, it's, it's so easy for us to misunderstand what that means. You know, we tend to think of someone who is meek as someone who is kind of a pushover. Um, but that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. Um, and I, I do think that the word gentle really captures um, the, uh, the, the Lord's desire for this beatitude. Whenever we think of gentleness, you know, we need to think of someone who has the desire to do God's will, but who doesn't run over other people in the process of it. So I think of people like Mother Teresa, you know, who had a resolve of of absolute steel, but nonetheless was gentle in everything that she did. You know, she was just resolute in doing the Lord's will in in all things, but she didn't run over other people in that desire to do it. And so Jesus is really showing us a way of living out our discipleship um, that is not at all wishy-washy, you know, but is very firm 
but at the same time, always respectful um, and caring for other people's dignity and, and, their, and their feelings in the process. Even people like Martin Luther King or Mahatma Gandhi kind of show us the power of gentleness in this beatitude sense. Our Lord says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Great encouragement for us, Bishop Muggenberg, to keep always seeking the good. I think the most important part of this beatitude, personally, is when Jesus says, blessed are they who hunger for it and thirst for it. You know, the the reality is that so many of us simply become satisfied uh, with where we are in our discipleship. And so we perceive ourselves as having gone far enough or done enough or righteous enough. And we stop hungering for greater righteousness. You know, we become complacent. And um, so I think the emphasis of this beatitude is never to become complacent. Whenever we become complacent, it's usually because we have lost sight of of, of the real um, model for our own discipleship. And we've begun to compare ourselves with others. And so it's easy to say, oh, well, I'm doing fine, you know, because um, look at the people around me. I'm doing better than they are or I'm doing the same as they are. Jesus wants us to see himself as our model for discipleship. And, you know, whenever we really keep the Lord as the center of our lives and as our own model for our own discipleship, then we realize how far we still have to go in our discipleship to be like Jesus. And that will keep us hungering for that righteousness and thirsting for that righteousness because Jesus himself is the righteousness of God. Justice for others, but we seek mercy for ourselves. <laughs> Blessed are those who show mercy. And Jesus is mercy incarnate. You know, whenever we see the Lord going through his life and ministry, he meets so many people who are suffering. Um, spiritual suffering, yes. Physical suffering, yes. But whenever Jesus sees um, other people suffering, He doesn't just respond in an emotional way and feel sorry for them, um, but rather, for Jesus, mercy and compassion were a motivation for action. And I think that's what's key of this particular beatitude, that mercy is something that actually um, is, is an active force that alleviates the suffering of other people's lives. So whenever we encounter uh, situations of suffering or distress, Jesus wants us to be an active agent of healing and um, of alleviating that suffering um, and not simply a spectator who watches it and feels sorry for others. So for this beatitude to become concrete in our lives, we actually have to have a practical response um, that, that re- seeks to alleviate that suffering and not just to, uh, you know, be sympathetic for it. Not something that left us when we were, say, three years old, but something to keep seeking, and that's the, the, the purity of our hearts. Purity. Yeah, whenever we hear that word, um, the pure of heart, we usually think of it in a moral sense, you know, kind of like uh, people who have eradicated every temptation, um, every occurrence of sin. And while that can be, you know, a very noble and should be something that all disciples aspire to, the purity of heart that Matthew is talking about is really a, a singularity of heart. And when I say singularity of heart, I mean a heart that is focused on God alone. Um, and, and doing God's will in all things. The reality is that sometimes in our lives, we can have a divided heart. 
you know, where we want to do God's will on Sunday morning for an hour, but then the rest of the week, you know, it's about um, being governed by the values of the market rather than the values of the gospel. So Jesus wants us to have an undivided heart that seeks to do the will of God in all things, all situations, all times, all places. And whenever we have that singularity of heart, that's the purity of heart that Jesus is praising in this gospel passage and encouraging us to aspire to. And whether we're a middle child or not, blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> yeah, I like that reference to the middle child, <laughs> um, <clears throat> the peacemakers. So peace in the ancient world, especially the Jewish world, um, really flowed from um, a situation of just relationship, right relationship with others, with God, with the world, and with oneself. And so when there is that right relationship that exists in all of those different ways, then a person receives the blessing of peace, shalom. And so to be a peacemaker means that you're not just someone who seeks that peace in your own life. You see, Jesus doesn't want disciples to be self-centered or self-concerned. Jesus wants us to always be people who are affecting the world around us. And so to be a peacemaker is someone who helps others come to right relationship in their lives also. You know, uh, whether it's right relationship, again, with, with others, with God, with self, with the world. But to be that peacemaker is someone who actively is trying to reconcile others to situations of uh, perhaps disturbance that they experience. Um, and the Lord, you know, whenever we do that, we make the world a more peaceful place, one person at a time. And finally, Bishop Muggenberg, as we wrap up our tour of the Beatitudes today, our Lord promises there will be difficulty uh, as we try to do His will and uh, be those shining lights in this world. But blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is probably the most difficult of the Beatitudes to understand. And I think that there's um, two ways in which we can understand it as really being a blessing. The first is this, that um, we are never persecuted for things that other people can't see or experience. And so uh, whenever, whenever we do experience persecution or negative reaction, that's a sign that we are, in fact, witnessing our faith um, in an effective and visible way. And that's what evokes other people's response. You know, one of the dangers of um, uh, mis or one of the misperceptions people can have about being Christian is that they can perceive it as only an interior relationship, you know, just between me and God or something that is part of my spirituality only. But when that's the case, when a person is only looking at their faith as an interior reality, then that may or may not have an exterior manifestation. But whenever a person experiences negative reaction from others, that's a verification that they are actually living their faith in an open way um, and others are responding to it. So it's a confirmation of discipleship. Now, Jesus is very cautious, though, that, you know, it's persecution for his sake that he proclaims blessed. And that's where we have to realize that there can be lots of reasons that people might react to us negatively. Um, we shouldn't write everything off as a, uh, a, a beatitude persecution. It, it's whenever we are witnessing to the Lord or living our faith that, uh, that, that Jesus proclaims us blessed. And of course, you know, following the Lord um, has lots of benefits to it, especially spiritual benefits. Um, but a person can find themselves following Jesus simply because of the benefits, rather than out of fidelity and love for God. 
And whenever we accept the cross as part of our discipleship, that actually proves our discipleship. And so that blessed are those who are persecuted can be also be a way of saying, blessed are those whose faith perseveres even when it involves negative consequences, because that shows that they're doing it out of love of God and out of a pure act of faith um, and commitment. Well, Bishop Muggenberg, you help us to persevere by helping develop that love of the gospel each and every week with your reflection. Great one today. Thank you for that. If you'd be so kind as to wrap us up with your blessing. May the blessing of Almighty God be with you and encourage you to always live the Beatitudes every day in very practical and effective ways in your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called A Generous Helping of Love. A son took his father to a restaurant to enjoy a delicious dinner. Now his father was quite old and a little weak as well. While eating food, occasionally fell on his shirt and pants. The other guests watched the old man with their faces contorted in a bit of disgust, but the son remained calm. After they both finished eating, the son quietly helped his father and took him to the restroom. He helped clean food from his face and attempted to wash some stains from his clothing combed his hair, and put his glasses on straight. As they left the restroom, a deep silence reigned in the restaurant. The son paid the bill, and just before they left, a man, also up there in years, got up and asked the old man's son, you think you left something here? The young man replied, I don't believe so. And the stranger said, you indeed did. You left a lesson here for every son and a hope for every father. The restaurant was so quiet you could hear a pin drop. One of the greatest honors that exists is being able to take care of those who've taken care of us. Our parents and all those elders who sacrificed their lives with all their time, money, and effort for us deserve our utmost respect. Isaiah 46.4 Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Now, coming up uh, here in the next hour of Morning Air, OBGYN Dr. Monique Chereau-Wobbenhurst will explain the lies about ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages. And Catholic uh, speaker and author Gary Zimick uh, will be with us to talk about why the sacraments matter and uh, why they're the best way to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. Plus, former NFL tight end and current Denver Broncos assistant coach Ben Steele will preview this weekend's NFL conference championship game. Stay with us. There is much more to come on this Friday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 